Everybody, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday. We're the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And I'm Justin Crisp. We are gathering to rev up for the second Sunday of Advent. We have John the Baptist, we have prophet, preacher, baptizer, and bulldozer. We're in a new year, as you know, and our early podcasts were in the Gospel according to Mark. Now we're in the Gospel according to St. Luke. And so let's just set the context of this reading a little bit. So Luke is the only guy in the New Testament who has a two-volume set, right? He has the Gospel <laughs> according to Luke, and he has the Acts of the Apostles. And embedded in that Lucan story are three periods of salvation history. The first period is the period from creation up to John the Baptist, that is the period of Israel. The second period is the period of Jesus, which runs perhaps from Jesus's baptism in the Jordan through his ascension, and the third period being the period of the church, which begins with the Acts of the Apostles. Also, the context of where we are in the Gospel according to Luke, chapters 1 and 2 are so-called infancy narratives, and in them we have the Annunciation and the Burrs of John the Baptist and Jesus. And now we're at chapter 3, and the drama is really starting. We've moved 18 years from the last time we've seen Jesus in the Gospel, and John and Jesus are around 30 years old. So here we go with the scriptures. It is Luke 3, 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, I, I feel like um, that passage from Isaiah it just craves to be set to music and to hear it in music, right? It's kind of a shame we don't have a <laughs> we don't have a chorus behind us to sing Handel's setting of this particular right. piece. That would be cool. That would be awesome. Um, but in all seriousness, the uh, uh, the the use of the writings of Isaiah here is from Isaiah chapter forty, or the beginning of what's known as Second Isaiah. Uh, is really is really beautiful. It's one of the things I'm most um, captivated by in the passage. So. Uh, you know, first Isaiah is foretelling the deportation, the coming deportation or the actual deportation, depending on whether you think first Isaiah was written contemporaneously with the deportation. The deportation of the, the elites of Judea into Babylon, which took mm -hmm. place between, you know, 591 and 581 uh, before the Common Era or thereabouts. And that's basically the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah. And then you get the next hunk of it, beginning with chapter 40, so-called second Isaiah, ostensibly written by Isaiah's disciples, uh, but it's attached to the original writing. So written later than the first 39 chapters. 
And this is like, this is like the opening of that second part of Isaiah. They're, there they are announcing the end of the exile, the return of the people of Judea back to their home in Jerusalem, the plans to rebuild the temple, etc., which were you know, really, uh, really brought about by the conquering of the Babylonians by the Persians and their leader Cyrus II, so-called Cyrus hmm. the Great, uh, in a great battle in 539 before the Common Era. And so what's, what's interesting to me about that is that Isaiah, second Isaiah, actually goes on to announce Cyrus is the Messiah, right. <laughs> the anointed one. <laughs> so Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. Uh, and messianic expectations, expectations of some kind of a ruler who would come and free the, the people of Judea from their Babylonian captivity, began to take shape during the exilic period. And Isaiah chapter 45, some, you know, just five chapters after this particular uh, quotation in Luke is taken, announces, uh, it says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to his Messiah, ostensibly, uh, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, etc., etc. And then comes a key phrase, which actually uh, harkens back to this passage here. He says, uh, I, God, will go before you, before Cyrus, and will level the mountains. Right. <laughs> I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through the, the bars of iron. So this is not a Messiah in an apocalyptic sense, but it's a Messiah in this kind of political sense as one anointed by God to restore Israel. And so these were, these are, it's as though the author of Luke's gospel and, and Jews of this, like other Jews of the second temple period, they are entering into the messianic expectation of their ancestors who were waiting for this messianic figure, who for the author of Isaiah turned out to be Cyrus to free them from the Babylonian captivity. They're entering into their expectation, their ancient expectation in order to await their coming Messiah, whom they believe is the Christ. And then the season of Advent, we are entering into the waiting of those people, those second temple era Jews, as we await freedom from all that we are in bondage to. Right. Uh, so no longer to the Romans, but to, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We could fill that out for us. And so it's this idea that, like, we're constantly going back and reentering into the, into the waiting of the ancients for redemption. Um, and that these are, in some sense, they're words that in their own historical context refer to a particular thing, right? The Babylonian captivity, Cyrus, et cetera. But for Christians, they're words awaiting another owner, as a <laughs> nice. uh, and here the owner is John the Baptist, right? Not necessarily Jesus, but here the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness is is uh, is John. Yeah, I'm, inter I'm interested in in that. Um, that's a really interesting history, Justin, and I love hearing about the mountains and hills because I I forgot about that part of Isaiah where <laughs> it actually goes on to specify that that's what, what God will do for Cyrus. But um, for Luke, uh, I love that he takes the passage further because I think mm -hmm. Matthew and Mark stop short of all flesh shall, shall see the mm -hmm. salvation of God. And, yep. you know, it's the theme in Luke, as we know, to bring the gospel to all the Gentiles everywhere. And so he has a widened road now. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. this this preamble, like you mentioned, Peter, chapters one and two being, uh, you know, the birth narratives and all that 
all that precedes John the Baptist and Jesus. It goes on forever. I read that, um, you know, this is the 135th verse of Luke. (laughs) It takes 134 verses to get to John the Baptist's actually grown up doing yeah. his thing and mm. and then more so more to Jesus and um Mark only, t- only takes 14 verses right. and Matthew takes 48 and you know mm, so Luke yeah. goes on and on and and Luke I think is it's part of his point is that there's a whole road to walk to get mm. to the revelation and to get to the the actual destination and, um, you know, he's t- he gives all this detail. I mean, yes, he's sort of a historian, but it's more than just some background. It's like, you know, all these things were in place. This is when it happened. You know, before you get to John the Baptist's birth, you get the prophecy to his parents about how mm-hmm. he's going to be born. And, right. you know, Zechariah's story and Elizabeth. And, you know, it all just really unfolds in this kind of lovely long road and path to get to where they're going. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that in, Luke, in Advent we turn to Luke because the church sort of follows that pattern too. You know, we take mm-hmm. weeks to prepare for Christmas. We take weeks mm-hmm. to prepare for Easter. Um, you know, like in Luke, everything happens on a road. You know, we got all these important yeah. roads oh, yeah, in Luke. Yeah, the road true. to Jericho, the, the Good Samaritan, you yeah. know, happens on this road. And then there's the road to Emmaus. And, you know, Luke's always telling us to walk the road, walk the path, mm. and you can't really get the fullness of it unless you're walking the, the road. Mm-hmm. So I like that, um, it, you know, even this passage is so it's such a snippet of the story. Mm. It barely gets us anywhere. You know, it's just history and then the prophecy, the prophetic words. But mm. when you really see what Luke's doing, I think it's it's kind of fascinating that... It's telling us to, you know, prepare the way, make the path, make the path and make the path straight and mm. and get on it. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think that the, uh, the pa- thank you, the passage is so ripe with things. It's, it's, I, I have 10 things running around my head mm. uh, that I that I might add to what you what you two have said. I, I think that uh, one of the things we find here is to understand that that for Luke, John the Baptist is the last and the greatest of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And so all of that biblical history, all of that history of salvation history uh, lands on John the Baptist. So that's why he's got such a huge role in that mm-hmm. he is the bridge, he is the transition mm-hmm. figure. And so the, uh, the passage that we just read is echo, echo, echo of of passages, Hebrew scripture passages that the people of his day would have known, even the the, the dating in the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor uh, Tiberius, that that whole sort of solemnity of that mm-hmm. greeting is <laughs> yeah. in uh, is in other books, you know, right. and and that's how that's how you know that something is that this is something of great weightiness. But it also takes we have history, and so he's identifying this history, and then we have. So we have, we have, in some sense, linear history, and then we have Cairo's history that mm. drops right in mm-hmm. the word of God. Uh, so now we have the prophecy, the calling of a prophet that drops in and in real time with real people, mm-hmm. and yet the echo, 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 we have wilderness, and so it happens in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and, and what in the, in the prophets, what do we hear is, 
uh, the, the restoration of the people of Israel does not start in Jerusalem. It never starts in Jerusalem. It yeah. usually starts in the wilderness yeah. and, and then at the Jordan River, right? And so the Jordan River, this yeah. didn't happen in Galilee. It's not the Dead Sea. It's not the Red Sea. It's at the Jordan because that is, that is the river. Uh, that is the water for the people of Israel. They cross into a new land, the promised land. Mm. And so he is in the Jordan and all the echoes of, of the meanings of that. And then who is he? Well, back to your commentary about the, the different layerings and the different usages of the same passage from, from the uh, uh, out of Babylon they come with the, with the flattened uh, mountains and the smooth roads. Mm-hmm. And I think for Luke that there's no doubt that John the Baptist is the ultimate fulfillment yep. of Isaiah's passage. Uh, and, yep. and, so, uh, and so that's how he does prepare ye the way, which I'll come back to in a little bit at another time, so I don't want to hog our airtime. But I, I think the thing is just echo, mm-hmm. echo, echoing of this salvation history thing that, that the people would know. But we, again, we have to sort of yeah. decode the scriptures yep. a little bit. We, the more we know, the more we get. Yeah, totally. Uh, just, just one more, uh, one more decoding, one more layering, one more echo. Is that um, I think that John the Baptist is both a prophet and a priest. So he has priestly exactly. parents. Thank he has you. priestly parents, right? So it's it's as though the um, uh, so uh, yeah, not to not to just skip over that. So Zechariah is himself a priest, uh, and he's working in the temple and that kind of thing. And uh, his um. His Damascus Road experience, as it were, <laughs> where uh, anyway uh, that it's actually him and the priesthood offering a sacrifice, and lo and behold, God shows up and you know strikes him dumb. And anyway, it's an interesting story. But I kind of wish we got it before we got this passage. You know, at the, the lectionary skipping. Uh, now around, we're back right? to the lectionary. If, yeah. if, I, if we, we were with the lectionary, <laughs> we, we'd uh, re- yeah. reform it here. We're skipping some steps. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but Elizabeth too, Mary's cousin, Name Zachariah's wife, John the Baptist. Uh, yes, totally. Uh, also a great priest, uh, <laughs> is descended, Elizabeth is descended from the line of Aaron, from, uh, this is Moses' brother, from yeah. whom all of the, uh, the, the priests of the old covenant mm-hmm. were, uh, were, were descended hereditarily. Yeah. Uh, and so both of John's parents are priestly people in the, of the old covenant. So it's as though in John, you have a transition between both the prophets and the priesthood of the old covenant to Christ, who is prophet priest uh, himself, right? And the book of Hebrews makes a makes a yeah. great deal of, of Jesus's priesthood, mm-hmm. saying that you know what happens in Jesus is is not that the it's not that um, it's not that the cult of the temple is just like stopped, right? It's not so much that Jesus like is a one eighty from where the the cult of the temple had been. It's that he is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the cult of the temple. He is the new priesthood, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so anyway, just one one more transition, one more echo that's in the, yeah. in the passage. Do you think that um, since Mary is Elizabeth's cousin, that we're to presume Jesus was of the same line of Aaron? I would love that if I that was the case. I, I mean, mean, there's oh, a well, point we, to that. I mean, they're cousins, so she must... Right. descend from the same... Well, we can check that depending on yeah. the two genealogies, right? So yeah. uh, Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, uh, I mean, which, which I didn't read ahead of time here. Yeah. Even though, as I told you, I got up at 4.30 a.m. to do my homework. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look at these eyes, everybody. I mean, but I didn't get to the genealogies, but that's good. <laughs> I know. That's good. Well, I, I'm I only love... thinking of it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, I, and I love the idea of Mary as a priest. And in some ways, I think that, uh, you know, Mary, oh, is, Mary is the paradigmatic priest because she's the one who's bearing the Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And, and pointing people to Christ, etc. Et More to say about that, but um, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. But it would be really, really cool. You have to think that they some 
you know, I don't know if I don't what what I would need to figure out. What we would need to figure out is is Mary related to Elizabeth on like her father's side or mother's side, etc. Um, I guess it wouldn't matter. Well, though. she's Elizabeth's cousin, so if Elizabeth's the one descended from from Aaron's yeah. line, maybe they're both from that line. Yeah, perhaps she is too. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Speculation. Cool. Yeah, totally. Hebrew Bible scholars should write to us and right, say, right. Uh, you know, here's here's what's going on right. uh, in the Old Covenant stuff, and then the New Testament scholars should come in and tell us about Mary. Right. Um, that's really interesting. But it's, I love that, you know, the, another echo is the word of God coming to John in the wilderness. It doesn't mm-hmm. come to all these people that are listed above, you know, it doesn't come to the governor, the, True. you know, Herod, who was, mm. who was called yeah. the king of the Jews by the Romans and yeah. doesn't come to Annas or Caiaphas in the temple. It comes to this unknown prophet in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's another theme of Luke, you know, always the kind of marginal person, always the one yes, in the true. shadows, true. And yep. the lowly. True. It's sort of the beginning of the Magnificat, not mm. the beginning, the, the continuation uh, of Mary's song that the lowly are being raised up and the mighty are being cast down. Yeah, um, yeah uh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're really starting to hit some of the themes on Luke that in the coming weeks we're really going to start to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, but I, I think one of the other echoes here that we might touch is prepare the way of the Lord. Oh, yeah. So, you know, way, the, the first name for Christianity was the, the way. way. Yep. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, and that the, uh, that the way in its, in its Hebrew echo is the way to God, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and the repentance, I, I, I just have to say, I don't like the word repentance at all. I, I wish we could retranslate that word. I, I'll take uh-huh. metanoia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'll take it in its original Greek. I, I would take um, change your mind, change your heart, change your soul, turn mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. Repentance for me is a, is a word that is so layered yeah. with, with stuff mm-hmm. that I don't find helpful, frankly. Uh, but I, I, and so this is turning toward the way mm-hmm. and, that, mm-hmm. and that John as the bulldozer, right? I, I mean, if you've ever been in the Middle right. East and you see like, there's a part in Jordan when you're driving out to Petra where you look out across the desert and all of a sudden just goes, wow, then wow, and wow, wow. And you can see that this smoothing of the way uh, and, and, and John as a bulldozer with his words is creating this, this, as you're talking about, this path, this way that we might have relationship with the divine. I mean, which is ultimately what this is pointing to. The inauguration of Jesus as, as the fulfillment of salvation history mm-hmm. is to say that in him, if you're trying to figure out, like, does God exist? Do I, do I believe in God? Do I, how would I uh, associate with God? And I'm not Jewish, right? They have a whole way of doing this. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who's showing you the way. This is for, as you pointed out, that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the way for everybody to get a handle on the unseen divine. Mm. And, and that this all fleshness, is, which is what you were talking about, the end of the Acts of the Apostles finishes with Paul saying that, all Gentiles hear the message. So this little line, which is at the inauguration of Jesus's ministry, finishes the end of volume two. So this, this all thing, this universality we were talking about, the theme, that's a, that's a big deal. Echo, echo, echo. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think of, um, I think of John the Baptist in some ways as a kind of, um, a kind of exemplar of what the Christian life 
is. Um, not in the sense that I think we're all going to go out and like, or that we all need to go out and eat, you know, bugs and honey, Man, locusts I, this, and honey. You're getting off to a hard start here. Right. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, what, you're you into know, bugs and honey? Bugs, honey. And, uh, what do I have it's to wear? I got to wear those uncomfortable clothes. You uh, know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I got... It's really attractive, right? I think uh, we, <laughs> Christianity needs a, needs some PR help uh, if we're trying to recruit. Um, <laughs> is it not, not necessarily in that sense, but um, uh, so, so uh, Grunewald has this uh, medieval painter painted this incredible uh, altarpiece in Eisenheim. And um, there's a, I actually have like a, a print of it in a hallway. I wanted to put it in my bedroom, but Jules said no, right? It's a pretty like- <laughs> Definitely not. Jewel, a, Jewel, Jewel, listen to your wife. I, I know, right? It's not, I, I did come around to agreeing with her uh, that there was a better idea to take it out of the bedroom. In this, it's, it's famous because Jesus here is hanging on the cross. It's a, it's a crucifixion scene. And Jesus has boils from the plague. Mm. And so this is yeah. Grunewald, you know, depicting Jesus in terms of the suffering of, of the, the people in Grunewald's day. And so, you know, we might, we might depict a, a, a Jesus who, uh, you know, who, who has COVID-19 or is on a respirator or something like that. That's, right. that's what Grunewald is doing. Um, and so, but, but in it, there's John the Baptist is standing to the side. And John the Baptist is pointing at Jesus. And I've increasingly, like, you know, okay, so being like Jesus is a pretty tall order. If there's anything that I've taken away from our study of the last couple of weeks, uh, it's that um, Jesus is uh, wild, that his way is crazy serious, and that his way is crazy. And it is, it could be overwhelming to me to aspire to that. I'm not saying that I'm not in the WWJD, what would Jesus do mode in my daily life, right? I am trying to live a life of Christ-likeness and so on. And I believe that I, I, am, I am growing in grace in fits and starts in some mysterious way that perhaps I can't see. I am trying to be more like Jesus. And it's the calling of every Christian to be a little Christ, as it were. But also, it's the job of every Christian to be like John the Baptist and to point away from ourselves and towards Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and this is something that I think that as, as, um, as a priest, I think about a lot, right? Priests are not there to be Jesus for others, exactly. We're there to point people to Jesus. And there's lots of, um, particularly when, when, uh, when we're working with seminarians, there's a lot of like, you know, you're not God. <laughs> kind of thing, right? Your only job is to point to God, to be like John the Baptist and to just point away from yourself towards him. And when I, when I enter into that John the Baptist uh, realm of things, I feel a little relief from all of the crazy expectations that I can put on myself. Expectations which I, I don't think are actually God-given, but expectations which are given to me by my, like, my super ego or my, you know, my drive for perfection or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, just point away from yourself. Just point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Be the voice of that one who's in the wilderness saying, prepare you the way of the Lord. You announcing that preparation is what's called for. You don't have to do it all yourself. Mm. Jesus has done it, is doing yeah. it, etc. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to personalize it that way. I've, I've always thought of John the Baptist as a model of the church. Mm. Um, you know, the kind of institution that, you know, where he says, I must decrease, that Jesus might right. increase. Um, you mm. know, the church pointing people to Jesus is, um, I guess, the amplification of, of the way into the world where... Um, yeah. And, and I guess I have to, we, you know, the church suffers this loss of numbers and shrinkage and scandal and, you know, hardly getting it right. People sleep through their lifetime in the church and maybe never get it, never get the message of loving your neighbor as yourself. And, 
you know, we as individuals, I think we only know Jesus in one another. Mm. Not only, but, yeah. you know, the primary encounter is in one another mm-hmm. of, of God. Like in that sense, maybe we're to be Christ to one another. Right. I, I, I agree with what you're saying also, um, that, that our real job is to point to Jesus, but to be as best we can the embodiment of the love of God is what the job, the not job, the life, the way is. Yeah. Um, but the church, you know, I think as an institution, we have to always remind ourselves we are human it's a construct. It's nothing that Jesus ever intended or created. Um, the Holy Spirit works with whatever we got, you know, and this is what we got. Yeah. But um, to that end, we have to kind of channel John the Baptist um, and always, always be pointing the way of Jesus, mm. you know, putting people on the path and making sure that they know what the path is, you know, and whether it's, what are the markers of the path. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, that's, I think, a harder thing because you have to come together around that ju- that work mm-hmm. and make it clear. And the church has muddled it so much, you know, in, all over the world mm. that people are just like, huh, you know, that way is dead end. Mm. So not always. Yeah. I think there are beautiful examples of this all over the world. And, you know, even St. Mark's has it so much... Um, love and life and witness and and that we're you know thriving in the way of of love i feel on on many individual encounter levels and more um but i've I've always thought of john the baptist kind of as a church placeholder Hmm. um so i really i appreciate hearing you put it in the personal term it's helpful too yeah thank you yeah beautiful so uh, just to, to wrap up here, you know, thank you for your reflections. And it is the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, the Jordan River is a place of starting over. That's what all mm. those people were doing when they came to the Jordan River. They were starting over. Right. Uh, and, and, and I think our, re- yeah. our renewal here our, our, is to kind of like rebooting that comes our way and to reboot. You guys have each given fantastic uh, mm-hmm. uh, explorations of what that might be. But uh, hope to see you on Sunday. Uh, uh, and if not seeing you, hope that the Spirit is moving in you in such a way that you two are going to the Jordan River, uh, that stream of the Spirit, <laughs> to, to start over and to, to reboot the way to our Lord because it is the holy way and it really does bring life. So mm-hmm. peace be with you all. God bless and thanks for tuning in. We'd love it if you would uh, share or like or be in touch with us, all that stuff that happens in the digital world. God bless. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,